Hey there, podcast listeners. Thanks for tuning in today. Today's topic is, if God is good, why is there evil? And I talked about this one with a group of fighter pilots that I mentor. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. And don't forget, if you want to check this out online so you can talk about it with a group or mentor, go to PursueGod.org, type in If God is Good in the search bar, and you'll find this one. Enjoy. All right, well, tonight's topic is If God is Good, Why Is There Evil? Um, before we, we get into this, this was a pretty intense video. I, I had to watch, I don't know about you guys. I had to watch it a couple times, um, just to follow the, the argument. Um, has, has anyone, before we get into it, has anyone actually experienced this question? Like in the military, has anyone actually said this to you before? Have you ever had, have you ever had to answer this question? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I've had guys ask it to me from an intellectual standpoint, um, more just sort of as a trip up kind of question, but then also from, you know, people who were just kind of curious uh, and then knew I was a Christian. When it happened, we were over in Turkey doing the Syria gig, and obviously you're looking down at this country that has been completely bombed to crap uh and it essentially seems like a godless nation and and so somebody asked me a similar question to this like how in the world can you believe in god doing what you know we're just dropping tons of bombs all over the place and mm. hopefully i didn't screw it up but i'm pretty sure a couple of my bombs have fallen on civilians so uh how can you explain that so yeah i have been asked it yeah, is that? Do you think that this is a little bit of a different conversation in the military than for uh, a civilian like me? I don't think so. I think maybe we just see a little bit more. But usually, when people bring up this argument, it's about more of a personal thing, like their kid has some kind of a medical thing, or they had a loved one who died, mm -hmm. uh, kind of a horrific death from cancer or something like that. At least, typically, that's where I've seen the question be asked, but. Maybe it's just because we see more people suffering just in a general sense, maybe. Mm -hmm. Anyone else want to weigh in on that? Do you think it's, you know, for, any, for anyone in the military, really in general, I, I just wonder if this is more, like, like you said, Alex, because, pe because you're faced with death more, more so than a typical American would be. I just wonder if this is, if, if this might be more of a barrier um, f to faith. I wonder, you know, I haven't heard it much in, with people in the military, but I wonder if folks, again, that, you know, we're kind of above it all and we see the, mm. we see the destruction from, you know, 20,000 feet, mm -hmm. but you don't really, I mean, I haven't personally, I don't know about the other guys on here. I haven't seen the human cost as much. You know, you see big explosions go off when you drop bombs, but you don't, you don't necessarily see the carnage. Um, you, you might, but, but, you know, other components of the military where they're more up close and personal, like the Marines or the army, they, you know, I wonder if they, they see it, you know, vividly. Mm -hmm. and they might have a different perspective i was gonna say the same thing Pinto. <clears throat> you were chill yeah yeah i mean that's what i was thinking i think this question uh i haven't seen it any more in the air force than i have in regular life yeah i've never had it asked to me specifically like leroy but <clears throat> it's a very common question right when people start talking about religion yeah my stepdad has said this to me he's he's not a believer and been praying for him for a while but mm. he's not in, in exactly that way but more or less saying how can there be a god when the world's so screwed up so i want to i want to see if we kind of together as a team can put together what what this video is explaining can can someone kind of get us started what 
what's the argument here in this video? Like I said, it took me a couple times. I, I had to watch it a couple times, really kind of think about it and break it down logically. Um, so let's, let's try to put it in our own words. And then I actually want to hit some of these questions because I thought, I thought they were really good. Like, I guess I can take that, uh, you know, just going through philosophy class or whatever standard stuff they make you take in college, you go through the logical proofs sort of exercise of mm -hmm. A plus B equals C and well, does A plus B equal D if C is this? So it's essentially trying to like lead you from one to the next. Mm -hmm. And I think the point of the video is that the argument or logical proof that that philosopher used is incomplete because it makes assumptions that are hidden behind the proofs. Mm -hmm. So if you just look at the four proofs that he lays out, you're like, yeah, there, this is, there's no way God could exist, but there's so many assumptions behind each one of the proofs that are not explained. Um, so he lays out four, right? If God can prevent evil, but isn't able, then obviously he's not God because he's not all powerful. If God is able to prevent evil, but he's not willing, then how could you say that he's a God that actually cares about you? And, and then therefore he is not God. If God is able to do it and yet evil is still there, how could you describe him as being God? And then if he can't do it and he doesn't care, then are, you know, who is he? Mm -hmm. so, but it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't, you know, it just like stops at like, these are the only options there are. There's only A, B, C, and D, but in reality, there's tons of assumptions behind all of those. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's putting, it's pitting, it's pitting two characteristics. What are the two characteristics of God that are on the table in the, in this whole argument? Willing and able. Yeah, or or power, powerful and good, right? Which is the same thing as willing and able. So, and, and it's interesting because if we get to that conversation on Calvinism, I think we have some of the same questions. It's we're talking about his sovereignty, or his his, you know, um, omnipotence on one side, or his goodness. You know, his mercy, his goodness on the other side. Mm -hmm. So I want to hit a couple of these questions because I thought that I thought it was, I thought these questions were in, were particularly good. Maybe it was just because this was kind of a harder one to understand. And I was trying to dig into what, what questions would I ask if I was talking through this with somebody? And some of these questions are good for even, I think, for us to think about if we're trying to help someone, a seeker, answer these questions. Question two is, have you struggled with belief in God due to evil and suffering, either in your own life or in the world at large? Explain. Has anyone struggled with that? Has anyone had like a crisis of faith because of evil and suffering in the world? I wouldn't say I've had, I've never doubted, you know, that that's not caused me to doubt um, my faith at all, but depending on the, the topic and the tragedy you're discussing, sometimes, you know, like I said, my dad's mentioned it and I don't remember the context where that came up. And I, I, I think I'm better prepared now. This is a long time ago. Better, <coughs> excuse me, prepared now to answer that question, but Sometimes you're like, well, I don't know. I don't have a good answer for you. Mm -hmm. you know, and you know, it's it's tough to when you do see some some really horrible things happen to kids or whatever. You know, it's it's tough to you know say that God's all loving and all powerful when when stuff like that happens. And by the way, on that note, would you would you even bring up the logical argument in that scenario? I was thinking in today's day and age that that sort of, you know, logic uh, thought process isn't, isn't terribly applicable, maybe in an academic setting, but just to the guy on the street, I don't think they think that way. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm wrong, but. That's what I was thinking too. And I, yeah. 
even though this was really good to to study, I thought most, you know, 99% of the people that I talked to, I don't know. I'm not sure that I would try to get logical on them. You know, yeah. I'm not sure if that that's the barrier for them. You know, this is a little bit off topic, Brian, but this is the first time I'd experienced this. So we're walking around um, beginning of this week down. We live in Auburn, Alabama, and you know, it's a big university town. And, and there's, there's a couple of guys on the street corner and they've got, you know, this, this guy's got a hat on with a cross and mm. they've got these big signs and there were these flat earth people mm. and they, you know, this guy, it was kind of like going on, you know, he's yelling and, and, you know, kind of preaching on the corner kind of thing, but he was just talking so fast and, and, and using this, this, these kind of arguments about logic and, and everything trying to say that the world was flat yet somehow saying that the Bible says that, and I, I just looked at him and, you know, we're, we're actually literally, we pressed the button across the street and, uh, and he was just, you know, just, just assaulting us verbally with all this. I mean, it was, a, it was a very poor approach to whatever he was trying to do. But, but my point is he was, uh, he was trying to use logic to try to make his point, but it was just ridiculous. But it wasn't logical. It wasn't. No. And, and, and after I crossed the street, I kind of thought about some stuff and I almost turned around and went back, but I said, forget it. <laughs> well, it's no, I think that is on the point because I think even talking about this and anyone listening to this should remember, you kind of have to read your audience, you know, and, you know, I do a lot of funerals and I not one, I don't think one time have I, have I used any of these explanations in that kind of a context, you know, in, in active suffering context. I think that's, that's a context where you just want to love, you know, Ecclesiastes says there's a time for tears and mourning. And I think that's just a time for tears. And, you know, they, they don't, right. I don't think they're going to want to hear answers in the midst of their suffering. Right. And I think it's okay not to know the answers too, right? We're not, you know, we're mm -hmm. not omniscient as humans. We're not God. Mm -hmm. I trust that he is all powerful and he's all knowing and he's, he's got our best interest in mind as a, you know, in terms of humanity, but, mm. or at least believers. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't ever claim to know all the answers or have all the answers. So where, but I, I still think it's good. There's going to be a context for having this debate. What would that context be? Well, I think, you have two of them. So the, the, the highly logical guy who I honestly think is the guy in the squadron who is trying to either trip you up or legitimately has the question. And then the other one is you've got somebody who's dealing with a horrible time in their life and they're going, how in the world can you believe in a God when my mom is, has Alzheimer's? How can you believe in a God when my son just died? Mm. So those are the two situations and like, just like you're saying, like one is a logic train and one is a come beside them and love them train. But mm -hmm. in the end, you're probably still going to have to get to the concept of free will in some respect or the greater good in some respect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would imagine the squadron, there are going to be times when you're going to run across guys who are pretty sharp and kind of want to debate this. Maybe they're skeptics, agnostics, and, yep. and you're, you're kind of talking in your ivory towers. I think that's a good place for this kind of a conversation, you know? Yeah. So the time that I got cornered, it was actually in a, in a squadron bar, a uh, very smart dude came up, uh, you know, and he, he sort of likes, I mean, like we're friends, um, but he likes to go read a book and then just talk to me and see what I have to say just for fun. It's always, it's sort of arguing for sport. Yeah. And, uh, anyway, so his, his, you know, initial point on this is, okay, explain to me how there can be suffering. Um, so I, you know, I went with the greater good concept and I went with the free will concept. So the way that he refuted the greater good concepts is he said, um, so if you consider your God omniscient and omnipotent, don't you think that there's a way that he could have found to give people free will while limiting some of the, the more extreme cases of suffering? Like 
okay, one person has free will, so he kills another person. Let's call that like the minor case of suffering. But when we're talking about Ebola or Hurricane um, Michael or whatever that just destroys on this massive scale that really has nothing to do with Mm. free will, if you have an omniscient God and an omnipotent God, don't you think you could have found a way to mitigate these things that have Mm. nothing to do with free will? Um, and then the way that he sort of refuted the, um, the, uh, argument on the other side is, okay, so you had the angels who technically do or do not have free will hard to, hard to really tease that out in the Bible necessarily. But the whole reason the devil is there is because he made a choice and then, of course, the devil caused sin, and, and, and then we get on down this line. So why couldn't your God have just prevented the devil from happening? If that's the whole crux of your doctrine argument, why couldn't he have just stopped it right there? Hmm. So that, that, I mean, those were fairly logical counter arguments that were not super easy to just discount. So Okay, so that's good. How did you answer the first one, the, the natural disasters one? So, you know, I went to, I'm like, you cannot pretend to know, which to a guy who doesn't believe in God can seem like a cop out, right? So like, you are not omniscient. You don't know what that hurricane may have done X, Y, or Z. You don't know the natural sort of processes of the earth. Like, what is that hurricane doing that because of decisions that have been made and or just the way life is designed to exist? You know, there are things like a fire, for instance, what is the hurricane doing? Like New Orleans should not exist in any way, shape or form. Like it's a city that we kind of made out of nowhere, you know, and like that process of the hurricane and what the barrier islands do. And like, it's a very natural process that Mm. we have inserted ourselves into, you know, so I kind of went down that line of like, you can't understand the bigger picture. Like we, it is impossible for us as humans to understand the bigger picture, but I didn't have a better answer than that. Does anyone else, has anyone else had to answer that one? Does anyone have a better answer before I give my insight? So one of, one of the things, well, there's two things I would say about that. One is in a biblical argument, if, if that's what they're looking for. And the other one is, a, is an emotional argument. And the biblical argument is, that natural disasters are actually a result of the fallen world. So biblically, in this Romans, I was trying to look it up, but I I didn't have time. Romans, uh, I think one or two, it talks about that the world is fallen, right? Because of sinners. So sin, when sin entered the world, the, the world was broken. So, you know, I don't know. If, I don't know that that necessarily speaks to someone who doesn't believe in the Bible. But theologically, that's the answer. That's one of the strongest answers I would give. Is that if if man hadn't sinned in the first place and chosen to rebel against God, then the world wouldn't be broken. So that you know, the ground was cursed, right? When Adam when Adam and Eve sinned. So that would be my biblical response. My emotional response would be <laughs> to someone like that would would be yeah that's it breaks my heart when i see natural disasters here's what i've done about it here's what my church has done about it here's what the christian church has done about it what have you done about it because usually secular people don't they they might talk about that but they don't actually lift a finger to help and uh so on an emotional level i think that's a that's proof positive for god's people doing good in the world which we do any thoughts or questions about those two responses? What do you think about the the devil one? So preventing the existence of sin before it starts. Well, again, biblically, I would go to James chapter, I think it's chapter one, where it's where it talks about the root of sin, and it's actually temptation, but it's our own choice. It's our own, it's not the devil's fault. And so you know, I, I would, I, I don't pin that on the devil. I, you know, I pin sin on human beings 
you know, we, we made a choice to rebel against God. We made a choice to go the other way. I mean, that's, that was my first instinct when you said that. It was that James, I think it's James chapter one, you can look it up. But that's a good, that's a good passage for anyone who tries to shift the blame for their own poor choices on Satan or on demons or devils or whatever. It's like, no, James answers that pretty clearly. You know, we, we sin when we make our own choices and, we, and, it, and it entices us and it leads us down the wrong path. I'm sure there are some smarter answers to those things, but that's what I would, that's what I would say. I, as a general rule, I don't engage. I don't, I try not to engage people in um, like sideways energy when it comes to that, because I think a lot of times most, at least the people I debate with, now maybe there are more pure hearted people out there than the ones that I run into, but the runs that the ones that I run into have have pretty much made their minds up and they're just trying to trap. It's like the Pharisees in the, in, in Jesus's day, they're just trying to trap him, you know, and Jesus didn't a lot of times dignify their questions. You know, a lot of times he, he went to the deeper root of their question in his answers. And I think that's a good tactic for us to use also. Let's go to this one here, John 10, 17, question three. It says this, John 10, verses 17, 18. The Father loves me because I sacrificed my life so I may take it back up again. This is Jesus speaking. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. For this is what my Father has commanded. And the question is, how does this verse prove that an all-loving God you know, God the Father, does at times ordain that suffering must occur to achieve a greater good, right? It's, this is kind of addressing that second objection. Uh, the second objection was, if God is all loving, then he prefers a world without suffering, or the second assumption, sorry. So this is one of the two hidden assumptions from the video that if God is all loving, he prefers a world without suffering. And the video said, well, no, that's, that's actually, that's not necessarily true. So how does that verse prove that? I think it's, uh, it's John three sixteen is the explanation. So hmm. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I mean, there's obviously a ton of suffering that Jesus went through, but you know, it's also saying that Jesus did that willingly. So there was Jesus's love for the world and the path back to salvation for a new contract. There was God's love for the world and a path back to you know, salvation is sacrifice his only son, but, and there's a ton of pain involved from here to there. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. Question four, what are some reasons you think God might allow suffering? I think it can change. I mean, it can change people's perspective on life and, and draw them closer to God, you know, when they hit rock bottom. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I've seen it. I, I've experienced it in my own life and mm. I've seen it in others where, you know, uh, you guys ever heard of Charlotte Gamble? She's a, I think she's English, maybe, maybe Australian. I forget, but she's a, she goes around, you know, speaking at big, Christian venues, really, really great speaker, but she was at our church one time and said, uh, she said, you know, if you go from mountaintop to mountaintop, you know, everything's great all the time. You're kind of skipping from mountaintop to mountaintop. It's great. But, but when you're in the Valley, things are bad, but fruit doesn't grow on mountaintops, but it grows in the valleys. Mm. That's and, good. Uh, you know, meaning to experience, to, to for your life to bear fruit sometimes you have to experience some hardship and hmm. 
and be down there in the valley to then come out of it and have a story to tell and, and, you know, and, and uh, see what God did in your life. Have a, maybe even have a compelling testimony to, to be more convincing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Yeah, I think that's good. I think, you know, being able to share from personal experience, because people can't refute that. Yeah. You know, they, they, you're just sharing your own personal experience. Like, here's how God used suffering in my life. Right. You know, he allowed it into my life for a greater good. So just because suffering was in the picture doesn't mean God isn't loving. Mm-hmm. I, I think, Brian, people too, you know, so there are lots of people who have gone through these significant, huge events, some crazy disease, loss of a child, all that kind of stuff. Like when we say suffering, a lot of it is just, you know, discomfort in a way like not, but I, I, all the times that I have gotten better has, has been because of like some event sort of forced me that way, I guess. It wasn't just, you know, I'm not the, not that great at just like knowing I need to go do something. Like usually something happens in my life. I'm like, Oh, I need to reprioritize do whatever. Mm. Most of these guys know uh, when I was at Hill, I dropped this super errant bomb and it came with some somewhat harsh consequences. And I sort of fell off the air force path of where I was going. And my entire identity at that time was being a fighter pilot. I was 26 years old and could really have cared about, not much else. I mean, to include my new wife at the time and, and my Christian faith, like that was the way I defined myself. Wow. And all of a sudden you drop this Aaron bomb and that path kind of starts to get a little fuzzier, or a little grayer, and it makes you completely re- reprioritize your life. So was that suffering? I don't know. It was discomfort at the time, but it had mm-hmm. a huge, huge effect for what I started to define myself as, you know? Hey, hey, Brian, can you, uh, can you guys hear me? Okay. Yep. Okay, cool. I'm having some microphone issues with my computer. Um, Chill and, and Alex and Leroy um, probably know this. We, there was a sermon in our church about a year ago um, that, that at, that pretty much went over this question. And uh, the title of the sermon was how can a good God allow such uh, so much pain and suffering? Mm. And uh, I went back and, and washed it, and it was about 45 minutes, well worth, well worth it. In fact, I, I washed it and then emailed the link out to um, a buddy of mine that I actually had a discussion about this today. Hmm. It's a 45-minute long uh, sermon, and I'll, I'll do my best to summarize it in about a minute or less here. But um, the, what, he starts off, what he starts off saying, is, it's, uh, it's actually uh, Wildridge. He's the um, teaching pastor at CCV. Um, what he starts off with is the supreme ethic that describes God in our deepest desires in life is love because he creates you in the image of him out of, out of love. And then he goes on to say, you know, I, you know, quotes, you know, some, some passages here, which I have written down. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Hmm. And then he goes on a little bit deeper and says, okay, so if, 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 if God is love, then they kind of relate that to some some things in your life that's uh, that relate so you know the birth of your child your your wife spouse or whatever it's love is love is an inherent risk and in order that it's a it is a love is a choice and it, and it has to be and he used um, he used uh, Alexa that uh, robot as an example kind of an analogy you can program a robot to say, yes, I love you. So if I say, Hey, Alexa, um, do you love me? She'll come back and say, well, whatever you program her to say, yes, mm-hmm. I love you. But that doesn't really, that doesn't really, um, get a point or uh, get across the point of, of what love really is because love is an, is a, is a choice. And what it goes on to say from there is if, if, if love, it, you, it has to be a choice in order for it to be love, which in that case is freedom, the ability to choose, uh, and it's the free will you can accept or reject. So like when you take your oath uh, with your wife at the altar, it's for better or for worse. It's, a, it's, a, a, it's an objective choice. And the other verse he mentioned, Genesis 2.16, says, And the Lord commanded uh, the man, you are free, underline that, to eat from any tree in the garden which kind of implies that, that freedom, that free, free will. 
you have to in order to in order to have the freedom to love then there has to be suffering there there by de facto has to be suffering um on the result on the back end of that so you know god's gift of free will is a choice results in a, in a world of both goodness and pain and that's that's kind of the i mean obviously I, it, the, it goes much much deeper than that but that was kind of how he he went and uh, went through that and it made it made sense to me but it also you know it's a 45 minute sermon and the last two minutes i probably just confused you guys more than anything but no i think that's good i think that lines up with these two hidden assumptions you know that that this video is asserting asserting to be untrue right that an all-powerful god can create any kind of world he wants and what, what he can't create this this is to your point deuce is he can't create a world where we're free to make good choices all the time right the kind of the point is if he if he allows us freedom of choice then that's inherently going to include some poor choices right i mean that was the essence of that first argument and then it it connects in here then if he's all loving then he prefers a world without suffering well that's not true either because and even jordan peterson talks about this if you guys follow him at all he's pretty popular right now but he talks about like that you know it's it's kind of a, a distinctly american perspective to say suffering is bad and suffering is the worst thing that can happen to you. And because philosophers and human beings for the rest of the world, world history, that's never, that's never been their point. They, they've all argued that, that suffering is going to happen. It's, it's just a matter of when. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. So if your goal in life is to avoid suffering, then you're, you're kind of missing the point. And even Jordan Peterson, I don't, I don't believe he's a Christian, but his, his answer to that is, the goal then is to live live a life that makes the suffering worth it. The goal isn't to stop living or to try to even try to avoid suffering altogether. It's to live a life that makes suffering worth it, which I think is really an interesting way to argue because then that speaks to another thing and which is purpose, you know, which is, I think another thing that people want in this world is purpose and meaning, you know, what, 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 why am I here? Uh, all this suffering is because it's almost like inherent in the question, why am I here? Or inherent in the question, why is there all this suffering? Is this idea that we're here to not suffer, like that we're on the earth to not suffer. That's the point of our existence. And um, again, I think that's kind of a very American way to look at it because most human beings in history have suffered. And I don't think that they would even think about it that way. They would, they would approach it differently. Question number six, I think is interesting. And I, I want to know what you guys would, because I think thinking this through is helpful if you're going to try to talk with someone about this. The question is, how is God working to counteract evil and suffering in the world? So it's kind of like the other side of the question. How would you answer that? I think I might use examples and I, and they're not jumping into my head right now, but um, the power of prayer and seeing where, you know, people have come together and, and prayed, you know, prayed, prayed the paint off a wall to mm. a phrase I've heard recently about, you know, somebody with a sickness or, or whatever and to see somebody with stage four cancer, for instance, you know, be healed. And I think, I think God responds to prayer. Sometimes he doesn't. I had a friend in the neighborhood here who, whose wife died. And, and I mean, she got, she had melanoma, but it was all inside of her. And from the time they discovered it to the time she died was like three months, very quick. Wow. And I was praying fervently every day. In fact, I would even walk by their house at night and be praying over the house. Hmm. Um, you know, almost every single night until she died. And, mm. and that I'll be honest, it took the wind out of my sails a little bit when she died. Cause I had had some successes praying and mm. not that I'm, you know, solely responsible for stuff like that, but I was just convinced that so many people were praying for her and then she died. So, but there's other examples where, 
you know, I, I think, I, I, you know, it does turn, turn a situation around and, and you see, you see a miracle happen. Hmm. So that may be one way God's counteracting it. I don't know. Yeah, that's a good answer. Did, did, the, did they know that you were walking by praying every night? No, no, I've, I've yet to tell them. No. I'll tell you one thing. If, if I knew that, <clears throat> that might impact me more than anything. Really? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, to, to know that you were that committed to the, to my wife's situation. Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of, you know, he, he's a, he's a believer, but he's a real hard shelled kind of, he's from, you know, he's from Colorado, real mountain man. Hmm. Um, I'm kind of, you know, trying to, uh, get to know him a little bit better and work on him some, you know, but yeah, maybe I'll, maybe I should share that with him. I don't know. Um, Brian, another way I think that God is working to, you know, it, it's hard to maybe use this argument with non-believers who, who don't want to say it. They'll just say, this is people being good, but I mean, overtly Christian nations, America's not so much that way now, but mm-hmm. you look at Britain or you look at um, the United States during World War II and like what we did to stop all of that suffering and tyranny that was going on. Like, I, I do think that is God, like using particular nations to rise up and, and sort of squelch out other nations um, or people who are causing crazy amounts of suffering or just what America does across the globe. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if we can still call ourselves a Christian nation, but even 20 years ago we could. And I think a lot of that is, is because we were mostly Christian. You know? Yeah. As military guys, would you say, is, is that a thing for you guys as military guys who are believers when you know that you're fighting an evil regime I know you're not doing it in the name of Jesus, but is that part of your, like, do you view that as part of God, as God using you to try to, to try to make, make things right in the world? Or is it about getting a paycheck or flying the, flying a cool jet? That's kind of a funny question, but I I think, Again, not to make it like the Crusades or anything, you know, but <laughs> I think uh, I, I felt that way a little bit. Hmm. Um, I'll give you another another example. Um, <clears throat> I was just in uh, flying, and I know some of these guys have flown over Syria as well, but we were just – actually, this was in Iraq, as a matter of fact, just back in uh, – I think it was January – and we were tracking three bad guys, you know, we had drones following them and, uh, they, uh, we, we tried to drop a bomb on them and the bomb hit a, hit a, it was a very mountainous area. It clipped a ridge top. So it just missed them, you know, and now of course they know someone's trying to kill them because a bomb just goes off right near them. So they start running and, uh, it was a drone that was actually putting the laser spot down on them. And I came in from another angle and dropped uh, a GBU-54, which is a, a laser-guided and GPS-guided bomb. But uh, So about 10 seconds before impact, the three people just scattered. And the drone operator just picked one. And mm-hmm. he continued to laze, and he, and he, you know, the bomb hit the one guy. And uh, it turns out, you know, through intel and everything else, this guy was the, the, this big, like, Walid, you know, this ISIS leader in the region. <laughs> the other two were kind of lower level you know you know whatever henchmen minions so Hmm. i i wonder okay you know i don't believe in luck personally i think i don't know i don't know if god had something to do with that but you know Hmm. the 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 drone operator could have could have lazed the other two but Mm -hmm. but she picked the one guy that was the top guy and 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 we got him so I don't know. Maybe that was God. Can I just say that might have been the coolest small group moment I've ever been a part of right there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
that's probably normal for you guys, but that was cool to hear. That was, I don't know if I'm going to share anymore. That, I, I can't talk <laughs> So Brian, I know like, so when people thank me for my service, you know, I'm out in uniform in public or whatever, I'm up, I'm assuming these guys kind of feel this way. Like, you know, I say, thank you for saying so. I really appreciate that. But inwardly, I'm always a little bit sort of embarrassed and maybe there's some, you know, whatever to that. But like the reason I enjoy what I do, like there's an elite nature of it. There's flying the jet, what you just described. There's protecting the dude on the ground who is an American getting shot. There's, there's one reason for that. But then like the third reason is that I actually think that what we're doing is, you know, worthwhile. And there have been some times for me, like where combat has gotten fairly tough because we're just wasting our time. Mm. And I think all of the other guys who've been to combat, like half of it is just sitting around and wasting millions of dollars a day waiting for, these couple precise moments where you're highly effective in doing what you're supposed to be mm-hmm. doing. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, I do feel like I've been an instrument at times, but then at, at other times, like I have totally lost the faith in what we're doing because it has not seemed like we've had a great like objective or whatever. So yeah, I, I don't, I don't know that I personally can say like it, it matters. I have to have that like, background faith otherwise i personally just start to like hate what i'm doing you know Mm. do you think that that would be a you know we talk about you know bricks laying bricks of for faith do you think that that would be potentially a brick for some of some of the guys in your squadron who maybe aren't followers of Jesus, but if they were to really think about evil, the evil that, that they're fighting in the world and that they're on the side of, of right, would, would that be something that could potentially nudge them to pursue who, who, who's behind the right? I don't mean that politically. So, I, yeah, I tried to use this argument with a guy in combat and what it came down to is he couldn't accept that God was the driving factor behind the right because he also couldn't accept that he thought, or he also couldn't accept that people are inherently bad Mm. and have fallen short of the grace of God, which is ironic when you're flying Mm. over Syria and seeing the things that is going on and people being burned in cages and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But he still wanted to believe in the inherent goodness of man, if you will. Wow. And so for him, the right that he was getting was America's right. It was not God's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that, that someone might not understand the link, the linkage between America's right and, and God. I'm not, I don't, I'm not a firm believer that our nation is a Christian nation per se, but I think it's a godly nation. And, um, you know, I don't, you know, I don't think Jefferson was a Christian and Washington. I'm not sure that he really, like, if we met those guys, I think we would try to share the gospel with those guys, you know? Um, and I, I would, would have loved to have shared the gospel with those guys, but I do believe that it's founded on godly principles, you know? I would even say biblical principles. I'm just, you know, with last week's conversation in mind, I'm not, I'm not positive that they've really ever had their defining moment. All the biographies I've read, not sure that they have, maybe that's for another conversation. Last question. What do you think is the ultimate destiny of evil and suffering? Let's test your theology here. Do you mean, do you mean like, how does it end? Yeah, I think that's what the question, that's how I take it. I mean, I think think we know how it ends. It's, it's going to get really bad before it gets better, but eventually mm -hmm. God wins. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Okay, so what happens before God wins? You you just said it's going to get bad before it gets better. I know that's another topic, but what do you think will happen before it gets better? Well, I think this world is going to continue to unravel. I mean, I hate you know hate to say it, and I, mm-hmm. I hope hope I'm wrong, but I think biblically, mm-hmm. it's a, <coughs> excuse me, it talks about the seven years of tribulation and. Uh, um, you know, the rapture and, and, and all that end times type stuff where, where, uh, you know, and I know there's, there's kind of a school of thought, the rapture happens and then things get bad or things are bad and then the rapture happens and, and all that. But at the end of the day, there's going to be a lot of death and suffering and evil, even more than we're experiencing now in the end times. Mm. And then the second coming will happen and God kind of, cleans up and restores his kingdom. So are you a mid-trib, a pre-trib, mid-trib, <laughs> or post-trib person? I think I'm a pre-trib, but I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I would say most evangelical Christians today are pre-trib. Yeah. Much well, thanks to Tim LaHaye's books. That's right. I read the whole Left Behind series, so maybe that's why I think that way. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. So that sounds you- like another good topic for another night. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, Brian, can you can you explain that the pre-trip, mid-trip and Yeah, so what we when we use those terms we're talking about the rapture, you know, that when when Jesus comes to take believers to be with him. So the question is, you know, the tribulation is this 7 years of suffering and and the question is does Jesus take believers to be with him before the tribulation? So we, so in other words, Christians don't have to go through all that. Does he take, that would be pre-trib, pre-trib rapture. Does he take us mid-trib in the middle of the tribulation? Or does he take us post-trib at the end of the tribulation period to be with him? And so the, those are all different flavors of um, end times thinking. And I would say most, so Tim LaHaye's books, Left Behind, um, the, if I, if I'm Pinto, correct me if I'm wrong, that's a pre-trib perspective, right? That the, the believers were, were raptured and then the tribulation hits. Yeah. And the first book of, I forget how many were in the series, but everyone, you know, they make a, it was written really well. Just, yeah. You know, people just disappear, clothes are left on the floor and, you know, wedding rings are still there, but the, the body disappears and, yep. you know, it was, uh, and so those are those are a few options for that, but but a lot of Christians don't realize that those are actually aren't the only options, because some people don't even believe in that kind of tribulation. Um, so some people don't. There's another. There's a whole different side to that debate when you talk about end times. We've got some good stuff on that that we can look at uh, if we want to do that in a future conversation. Yeah, topic on that, man. <laughs> yeah. Chill, have you ever have you ever thought about what you believe as far as the end times? Um, no. no, I mean not not with regard to that time of tribulation. Yeah, you just you just know that when you die, you're going to be with Jesus. Right, man. <laughs> yeah, no, I think a lot of Christians probably are like that, and so then. The question is: What is is the rat is the is the tribulation going to come in our lifetime or in somebody's lifetime, right? And and if the answer is yes to that, then then the question becomes relevant. Okay, is he going to rapture, which means take away? Is he going to take up the Christians before, in the middle, or after? And so it'll be good. We'll we'll save that for another night because I think that'd be a good a good topic to dig into and see what God's word has to say about it. We know what what Jerry Jenkins and Tim LaHaye's book says about it. Let's see what, and, and it's a legitimate option. It's just, but it is one of many options. I, I do have a question on that, Brian, just still on the topic of suffering. One of those things in revelations, I can't remember the exact verse, but it says that, you know, as part of the prophecy, the earth is going to experience this increase in natural disasters. Mm, mm-hmm. And I don't, you know, who, who knows exactly what that, means or what that prophecy looked like but that is one of those things that's kind of like well is that man creating those natural disasters through our own processes and blah 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 or is that god actually kind of causing those natural disasters 
to facilitate the end times and the sort of global structure that that is prophesied and you know what i mean like obviously mm -hmm. if they're crazy natural disasters all over the place that's gonna do a lot to foster like a one world government and all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. so it just it's sort of interesting because i another guy asked me this and we were just debating for he was a christian but he said hey it kind of seems like that's god causing suffering you know what i mean yeah yeah i think those are good questions and uh I, I could see, I could, I could definitely see an argument for both sides that it, it could be that God, God uses our, our, the hubris of human beings to speed along those natural disasters, you know? Yeah. But it does make you wonder when you look at just the craziness that seems to be happening, you know, all the wired wildfires and the hurricanes and tornadoes and, yeah. And the wars and rumors of wars. When you do that and you read, you read that in scripture. I, this is why I think every generation thinks that Jesus is coming back in their generation. Yeah. My dad, I mean, this is, you know, all topics for a different time, but there's that prophecy that the nation or sorry, the generation that experiences the nation of Israel becoming whole again will not perish before the rapture. Mm. So my dad always says like, I've got the answer. It's me because the, you know, the nation of Israel became whole again, what, in 1947. So he's yep. like, he was born in 46. So he's like, I'm not going to die before. <laughs> <laughs> That's that. It's a lot of people think that. Yeah. yeah. And if that's true, then we're getting close. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's joking, obviously, but. You know. How old are then? He is 72. Could you just, just to be safe, could you shoot us a text when he goes to be with Jesus? Yeah, we'll go. <laughs> <laughs> Chill, did I guess right? Is that what you're thinking? <laughs> well, I think this, I think this might be a good, good conversation for next week. I know there's more to talk about on the nature of good and evil, but I think, uh, I think some of the end time stuff might be, might be good as well. So maybe we'll pick up uh, this conversation uh, more, but I just want to encourage you, on the, this topic of if God is good, if I could just have the last word, I guess I would just say, just remember, when you're, if you're trying to bring this, and we've mentioned this before, if you're trying to bring this to somebody and share Jesus with them, uh, you know, remember to do it with love. Because I think it could be easy to bring this kind of an argument to someone, and then you're just in debate mode the whole time. And I, I'm just not a real proponent of debate mode. I don't, I don't know that debates... I think if you're debating to try to bring down a barrier, that's one thing. But if you're, de if you're debating just puts the barrier up, barrier up even stronger because of the heart and the attitude with which you debate, uh, then it just, I think, hit your knees again and, uh, and ask God to give you love for the person uh, that you're trying to share your faith with.